Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It is a beautiful Monday morning, June 8th, 2020. He is Tristan Cockroft, singer of songs and slayer of myriad fantasy leagues. Kyle Soppy researches and produces our fine show. And I am merely Eric Carabell. Somebody had to host. This is a big week in baseball, not only for the obvious reason that it would be nice if the players and the owners would come to terms on a 2020 season. Time will tell on that. Uh, this Wednesday, the MLB Amateur Draft, uh, shortened as it is, will begin, and that will continue into Thursday. And we're all paying close attention to that for our dynasty leagues and whatnot. And then this coming Sunday, the latest in what has been an extraordinary ride of 30 for 30 documentaries will debut as Long Gone Summer. Uh, featuring the record-breaking 1998 home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa airs. I can't wait for that one. And here to discuss these topics with us is our dear friend and ESPN senior writer Dave Schoenfield. Dave, welcome to the Fantasy Focus Baseball yet again. Glad to be back, guys. Thanks for having me on. Smiling we're we're on the podcast for this. You're only listening to us, but it's good to see everybody and uh, – in their element, and Dave's got a haircut, and we didn't. So uh, I think Dave should get the most on today's show. <laughs> yeah. I like it; it's a good haircut. You gotta, I, I gotta, gotta copy you at some point with that. Eric's mullet. I can see it on video here. It's like a you know a Mitch Williams kind of mullet from nineteen ninety three. It's good. <laughs> I like to think it's like a Mark Waller's mullet. I don't want to be anything like Mitch, but yes, <laughs> oh, I, I I have a mullet and a lot of hair, and uh, you know what? I just don't care right now. <laughs> I got my my '90s grunge hair, so we're all ready to go. Yeah, Tristan, your head is so big. Is it is that growing <laughs> along with your hair? I gotta yeah. say, I'm not trying to be mean, but it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've I've sort of stretched these headphones beyond belief. You know, poor headphones. All right, let's start. Let's talk about the film. Uh, Dave has an article up at ESPN's MLB coverage. Very well done, and we'll get to the ramifications and all that. But um, in your advance, Dave, you've seen the clips and you watched the 1998 season as an adult, as an ESPN employee as well. Um, what are your overall impressions of the show? Does it handle the 1998 season well, in your opinion? Yeah. So yeah, I saw an advanced copy. Um, and I, at that time, I was the baseball editor. I remember at, at one point that summer working like 60 days in a row. I wasn't married. I was single. What else was I going to do? But, yeah, it really transports us back into time. And for any of us who watched that summer as a baseball fan, it's fun to relive it, to remember how exhilarating it was. Of course, undeniably, there's now the cloud that hangs over what happened and our, our feelings 22 years later are probably much different than they were that summer. So that's sort of a, a theme of the movie as well. I'm always going to look back fondly on that season though. Come on. When you have the New York Yankees <laughs> setting 125 win counting the playoff season, you got to look back at it. Great. But it was quite a, quite a season to go through. I mean, all three of us remember that year pretty vividly. It was actually one of the years I got really deeply into fantasy baseball. Uh, I, I still remember the chases that year, and they were tied very much to the Sosa performance. Sosa, my third round pick in my NL only that year. Yeah. yeah. How many teams, managers won their fantasy leagues that year with Sammy Sosa and, you know, the not the first few rounds, but later on, right? Yeah. Who were, who were the, were McGuire and Sosa obviously weren't first round picks that year, but. I am curious if they ended up being the most valuable players. Now, they didn't steal a lot of bases or any bases. Well, Sosa stole 18 bases that year. They each hit around 300. 
They scored a million runs. They knocked in a million runs. But everybody did. So I don't think they were even – I'll give you time to answer the question. But, like, the most valuable players, like A-Rod with 40-40 had to be one of them. Um, Bonds was 37-28. and 28. Um, So McGuire hitting 70 home runs. What did that even mean for fantasy purposes, really? Well – First, I'll note that McGuire was actually a player people chased in the drafts. He was a first-round pick in my NL-only league. So, so was third round. So that's in a mixed league. He was probably fourth, fifth round, effectively. But I'll give you guys the top 10. Uh, and we didn't have – I mean, I believe ESPN might have had the player Raider in one of its early years then, but I can't get the data. It was before my time there. When I ran the numbers using a for, my formula that's similar to it, the top 10 went Sosa – Sosa was by far the best player in fantasy in 1998. And the reason he was that much better than uh, McGuire was four homers fewer, but he batted nine points better in terms of batting average. And he did it in 134 uh, more at bats. So batting over 300, the weight of that was just astronomical. Number one by far, uh, $3 more than A-Rod at two. McGuire was third. Ken Griffey Jr. was fourth. Then you got Greg Maddox, Albert Bell, Kevin Brown, Roger Clemens, Craig Biggio and Vinny Castilla. And the curious thing for fantasy, uh, and Eric, you know, we've been doing a lot of these retro drafts, is that 1998, the top six starting pitchers in fantasy were very close in fantasy value. You had Greg Maddox, uh, Brown, Roger Clemens, Pedro Martinez, Kurt Schilling, and Randy Johnson. They were all within roughly $6 of value of one another, which is very close. A nice bunch, six guys, clearly near the top. Dave, you know, so we all enjoyed the 98 season live, but there came a point where we didn't, where we looked back on it and said, no, this is not right. And I don't remember when that was. Obviously, this is now 22 years later, but, and the show, I I assume, will take us into that. And I I saw the Bob Costas, you know, little clip for two seconds where he's saying there was a price to pay. Well, what was the price to pay? I mean, McGuire's back in baseball, and a lot of people still look at that season finally, but I look at it like, say, no, it was wrong. What happened was wrong. Do you look at it that way? And when did you start to look at it? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, the film, for the most part, the film is just a a fun, exhilarating recap of that summer. The highlights are just ridiculous with these 500-foot bombs that McGuire was hitting. Uh, More towards the end of the movie, they get into um, the ramifications uh, of, of the whole era, the steroid era. I don't know. I mean... I guess when Bonds came along three years later and broke it and then went on that amazing four-year run where he really – he was too good. He broke baseball. That's when we all, I think, for the first time became really skeptical of some of the numbers from that era. Nobody cared in 1998. Remember when the when the reporter from the AP found the Andro in McGuire's locker – which was a legal over-the-counter supplement. They weren't testing it for it. It wasn't banned. But it was kind of an indication something was going on. Nobody cared. You know, we earlier during this, this uh, timeout period because of the virus I was watching, I think it was the 99 All-Star game, and my editor sends me a note. These guys all look like cartoon characters, even more so than today. These guys were pumped up. Nobody cared. So uh, I don't think it was really until Bonds came along and then we, you know, had the uh, the anonymous testing in 03 and that kicked the, the real testing in 04. So it was in that era when we started, you know, kind of looking back on 98 with, oh, maybe it wasn't that great. I think I remember the, the first of my eyebrow raised was when the Andro, Andro Steendown was, uh, was brought up, when that was made a big public story. It, uh, 
that was when I first started to let go of the blissful ignorance as to what was going on. <laughs> and you're right, Dave, I, I think bonds really was what pushed it over the edge for all of us. But this was kind of like opening the door to it in a major way. And we just looked the other way. I, I think it came down to just we had talked about beating Roger Maris's 61 home run record for so many years. And then we had it taken away from us in 1994 with Matt Williams. You remember right. Matt Williams was on pace to do it in 94. And there was a sim that had him break the record. So it was like we were waiting for it and it was fitting that it got done. And then it's a shame that what transpired after that over the next five, six years. And, and I would argue as well that people say the 98 season brought baseball back after the strike. Um, but it kind of did it in a wrong way. But that summer, it did bring people back into the game, and some of those people did not leave when you know when the bond stuff started happening. So it's almost like baseball needs something like that now too, right? Well, that's a good point. So I, I think that's one of the coolest things, being a baseball fan in the movie, is, is reliving that summer when baseball was on top of the world. I mean – even if you weren't a baseball fan or a non-sports fan, you cared about this home run chase. Now, I think it's a little misleading, even at the time, to say this brought the sport back because, after yeah, attendance cratered after the strike in 94. That actually went up 6% in 96, 5% in 97, but only 4% in 98. So the attendance growth you know, actually wasn't as large as the two previous years. Um, so that, in fact, I think has been greatly exaggerated. People cared about the chase more, I think, than they cared about the sport as a whole. But to your point, Eric, yeah, I mean, given what's going on, yeah, baseball, we need something like that to happen again for this but, sport. So it's home runs. It's, home runs is what yes. baseball fans want. So <laughs> – 98 was about the home run, and last year, I would argue, was about the home run as well. So are people running baseball thinking that home runs are the only thing that can save this sport? That's a good question because I would ask you guys, you know, if somehow we even – I can't imagine anybody chasing 73, but say we did have Pete Alonzo and Cody Bellinger next year going off Everybody would be raising the red flags. Oh, what are they doing? They're cheating. Blah, you know, like even if it ha happened, I don't think people would believe it. And that's one of the negative fallouts of the steroid era is these big numbers. We even, you know, watch them with a lot of skepticism now. For, for all that was worth in terms of bringing baseball back, and don't forget the pull of the narrative with that. I agree with you, Dave. <laughs> it, it's a little bit overblown. It kind of tainted the, the prospect of any future chase. I mean, there's no way that a player realistically now can break that Barry Bonds record of 73 home runs. It's just not realistic to be done. And it took something away from the chase for 60 home runs. I feel like we should have had a 62 homer year breaking that record and we were shooting for 62. At least there was a chance at it. And now the best I can say is, hey, let's just say 60 is the bar. And even if you don't set the single season record, we'll celebrate your greatness for that. And I think it also helped that there were two players. It was the same way in 61. Mickey Mantle was going against yeah. Roger Maris for that until late in the year when he had injuries and he missed time at the end. We need multiple players. We need Alonso to be facing another prospect who hits for power. We needed Yadier, uh, uh, Jordan Alvarez to be up day one and to contend with him. Yeah, 98, and people forget, Griffey was only two behind McGuire at the All-Star break, 37 to 35. Solstead started off slow. 
hit 20 in June. He had 33 at the break. So for half the year, it was even a, a three-person race before a Griffey uh, slumped. By the way, we talk about all the home runs hit last year. There were 10 players who hit 40 or more home runs last year in 1998. 13 players hit 40 or more home runs, including such luminaries as Greg Vaughn yes. <laughs> and Mo Vaughn and lots of Vaughns. Andres Galarraga did it as, an, as a brave in Atlanta. He did it. Um, so some crazy home run numbers there. And I you, imagine that – yes, go ahead. You, you, you remember to this point, I said that on the high end in MLB in 2019, we weren't getting the big seasons like 98. The volume that was league-wide was near yeah. it. But we didn't get those top-end players, and that was curious to me. Yeah, well, you know what's curious to me now is Tristan's trivia. So it's halftime of our, our little uh, interview here with Davey. So, Tristan, I'm sure you have some 1998-themed trivia that you would like to uh, expound upon us. Let's go. I do, sure. Put away that 1998 leaders board page because trivia, trivia that Eric won't know. All right. So 1998 theme, I want to give you a sense of how much the stolen base category has changed even just in the past two decades. So in 2019, Malik Smith led the majors with 46 stolen bases. In 1998, five players stole more than that, more than 46 steals. And I'd like you to name them. Oh, well, I hope I do better than June has done on these trivia questions. Um, <laughs> well, he wasn't even born yet. He, he wasn't born in 1998, so how could he possibly answer the question? Right. We should get this, right, Eric? Come on. We were playing fantasy in Together, you'll get it. Come on. You remember this year well enough. I know a couple <laughs> off the top of my head. Obviously, Ricky, even he was like 40. Ricky so was like 40 years old, but he still did it. He was back we, in Oakland. Are we going to answer this right now? now? How about... Are you saving this for later, Tristan? Because I have um, yeah, we could do it. We could do it at the end, at the end of the interview. Um, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, if you have somebody off the top of your head you'd like to well, yell out. Uh, I call him the fast Brian Hunter. Brian Hunter did not. He had 42 that year. Oh. But I like the guess. That was one who I remember in the, at the time, he was great for steals, the one category monster. I think that was the year Lou Pinella hit him leadoff for the Mariners with like a 290 on base. Killed the I had him as a member year. of the Detroit Tigers that year. A nine, okay. He was in with the Mariners at some point. Ugh. Yes, yeah. And that was when I mean, he put up the big numbers. You know, you talk about these managers. I've, something I've learned watching these these old baseball games in the past couple of weeks, these managers were terrible. They made such awful decisions, <laughs> and they were in the World Series like trying to one-up each other on bad decision-making. I tweeted, I, te- I texted to a friend to say the Zach Britton game was on, the game that Britton did not appear in. Everybody yeah. thinks that Buck Showalter is the best manager ever. He didn't even bring in his closer. He literally let Ubaldo Jimenez lose the season for him. Don't yeah. tell me he was a great manager. And then I'm watching, was it this uh, Cubs series against the Marlins? Both managers. The the Angels series against the Giants. Both ma- That's Dusty again. <laughs> like, there, there's just such managerial malfeasance going on with not just lineups and batting the wrong people at the top. Obviously, in the 70s, Larry Boa batted second all the time. But just like when to pinch hit, the pitchers to bring in, the pitchers to leave it. Oh, 86. Mac, I could have managed the Red Sox of the World Series title in 1996. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I would not have. That team had no bolt. No, I'm not, I am not going to excuse John McNamara, but that team had no bolt. How did they win 90-whatever games with that bullpen? It was terrible. But like – Dave Johnson was no better. The, 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 Howard Johnson comes in. He doesn't bunt. 
That's when you bunt. When it's first and second, nobody has the winning run is on second base. The winning run of the World Series. It's like I just some crazy man, but that's what we had. No, the lineups, yeah, the lineups stand out for sure. You know, doing the like the Brian Hunter leadoff because he was fast and batting like, you know, Jay Buhner sixth or whatever. Like it was ridiculous. But yeah, managers did that all the time back then. Now they don't do anything. There's no managing to be done. Well, the, the DH is going to take care of a lot of that. But I would argue that that the DH is a good thing. Let's get your opinion on the DH, Dave, because it will affect fantasy. We're never going to see pitchers bat again, I don't think. But no. I think the DH is a good thing because if everybody is throwing 98, pitchers have no chance. When pitchers were throwing 88, and you and I have texted about this from watching like the 1980 World Series. Tug McGraw was not hitting 90 miles per hour in that World Series. He wasn't. So, like, Larry Christensen had a chance to hit home runs. Randy Lurch, who homered in the first inning of the 23-22 game, but didn't get it out in the bottom of the first, you know, like, that can't happen anymore. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure Tristan knows off offhand what pitchers hit last year. What, 109 or something? It's ridiculous. You know, and yeah, if people bring, oh, Madison Bumgarner, okay, he hit four home runs one year. You know, what did he hit last year? You know, he struck out every at bat almost. So, yeah, it's time. DH, you can't, you can't have a sport with different rules and different leagues. It's ridiculous. All right. Um, yeah, and, and Bumgarner, by the way, if you think he's such a great hitter, he's a 177 career hitter. Last year, because of everybody throwing hard, he batted 127. He did hit two home runs. He had eight hits the entire season. Please stop letting big, pitchers hit. It's the big hits. People are just uh, attracted by the lore of the big hits. Or Tola Cologne's home run. So what if well, that never that happens was, again? That was that was just fun. But, I mean, the, the odds of him doing that, that's why it was such a big story. The odds of him doing that were astronomically low. I mean, Mike Hampton, Mike Lorenzen, and to a certain degree Bumgarner are the only notable hitting pitchers that I can think of. Granky. I mean, I, I mean Granky would have been a good hitter in a different era. Right. Yeah, no, they don't exist anymore. Well, a good hitter for a pitcher, but a good hitter for a pitcher is still not a good hitter. Like, there's well, no Rick Rodens anymore. It's like, it's, you can't. Ah, no, Rick Rodens like DH that day, yes. Anyway. Right. Is that on uh, your Yankee wall of memories? <laughs> the day I, Rick Rodens was the DH? I will never forget that day. I'm sitting down and watching it on PIX, and uh, they show the lineup on the screen, and I'm like, that is a typo. It says Rick Roden, DH. That's a typo. I should call the station and tell them. <laughs> By the way, uh, Mike Hampton in 1998 as an Astro batted 262 with a 676 OPS, so I would argue that managers could have batted him second that year. Um, <laughs> let's fi- let's finish up with our, our review of Long Gone Summer. Um, and, and, and I want to be positive because these documentaries on ESPN, I'm not just saying it because they're on ESPN, have been fantastic. The Bruce Lee documentary on uh, last night, amazing. Well done. If you didn't get to see it or if you DVR it, you've got to watch it. The Michael Jordan ones, obviously, for five weeks were fantastic as well. And the, the Lance Armstrong is so unlikable, but the documentary was so good. And I can't wait to see the Maguire Sosa one. And I assume that it's going to be a happy tale for an hour and 45 minutes. And then the final 15 minutes is going to be a little bit more retrospective. What were your emotions for the first hour and 45? And did they change in the final 15 minutes? Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Cause you, you nailed it. It is for the most part, here's what happened. It's fun. Everybody had fun. 
you know, and we all love nostalgia. So it did bring me back to that summer and how it was, it was a thrilling ride other than I was disappointed when Griffey uh, slumped and fell out of the race. But um, yeah, it's in a way it is emotional because, you know, you do feel, you feel cheated. And I know there's a divide on, on the whole era. Some people don't care. Some people say, put them, put all those guys in the hall of fame and other people say, Hey, there's people who don't watch baseball because of the fallout from the steroid era. They're still bitter about it. I guess I I'm kind of in the middle Um, to a certain extent. It was, you know, those players, they were product of their era. And it's easy to say, if you had been a major league player, I wouldn't have used, who knows if we were in that position, what we would have done. So to a certain extent, I give them a bit of a pass by saying that was the era. A lot of players were doing it, but you do feel cheated. And, you know, now the home run record absolutely is tarnished. Certainly is. And it, you know, it's now really just in a hall of fame debate for most people. And yeah, it's, I'm with you, Dave. I'm, I'm very much in the middle on that. And I would really rather see us use this as a lesson historically. I'm very, a very big proponent of let these guys in, but note what happened on the plaque. Give the facts, teach people. Well, it's important too. I think the, you know, and hey, we've seen a lot of this lately, you know, players speaking out about stuff off, you know, the fields of play, but it's important for players also to speak up about their sport and, the players didn't police themselves. If I remember at the time, you remember Rick Helling, the pitcher for the Rangers. I think he was, for a while, the only player who spoke up publicly at like an MLBPA meeting saying, this is out of control, we got to stop this. Nobody else did. None of the superstars, those, even those guys who weren't using and clean, nobody spoke up in 1998 about the state of the game and where it was going. So... I think that's the big lesson is the players have to police themselves and decide how do we want our sport to be. That's like my favorite trivia question from 98 is name the four pitchers that won 20 games and three of them are Hall of Fame worthy type players. Um, And then Rick Helling, who must have gotten (laughs) seven runs of support per game. He, He won 20 games with an ERA of like 450, but the other three were like, Clemens, Glavin, and David Cohn. And David Cohn is like a borderline Hall of Fame choice. I don't think he's going to make it, or didn't make it, obviously. But um, Rick Helling won 20 games that season. Randy didn't. Pedro didn't. Wins should not tell you anything, but I just think that's interesting. If I recall, Shane Reynolds won 19 games that year, and he also was another one who got pretty good run support. Yeah, let me look it up. Aaron Seeley, also on Texas, won 19 games with an ERA of 423. So Texas had a 19 and a 20-game winner that year. They had a good year. It was a. Yeah, I wrote an article, um, must have been two years ago, on that whole season. You kind of alluded to this earlier, Tristan. The entire season was absolutely bonkers because, yeah, you have the Yankees winning one fourteen. You have a Rod forty forty. You got this home run chase. You have all these pitchers, Pedro and Maddox and Clemens at the peak. You know, Randy Johnson gets traded. Mike Piazza gets traded. I think that was the year the. Uh, the Orioles and the Yankees had the big uh, Armando Benitez brawl, you know. Yes. So that season was just, you know, one of the best uh, of all time until also, the World Series. The Kerrywood 20 strikeout game yeah. that I wrote about for one of the best fantasy games right. in history. 
uh, in a David Wells perfect game. Yeah, which still is one of my best fantasy stories in my leagues where I traded with a very good friend of mine and it was effectively Brian Moeller for David Wells in the ultimate buy low, sell high. And he did not trade with me for over a decade after that because he was that offended about the perfect game. <laughs> All yeah. right. So final numbers here on McGuire and Sosa. Um, we should note um, 20 times they homered on the same day. 91 different days saw at least one of them hit a home run. Um, Sosa in 97 batted only 251, but with 36 home runs. So he did some good things. Then he hit 308 with 66 home runs, which is just, just ridiculous. And he beat, beat McGuire out in fantasy value. I would argue not just the batting average, but the 18 steals. Yeah. McGuire had only one. Uh, McGuire, that was his first full season with the Cardinals yeah. in 98. In 97, between the two leagues, he had 58 home runs. So he had power. That's kind of what annoys me most. Now, Dave, you and I will eventually get Hall of Fame votes here. And we could argue whether McGuire without the steroids would have been worth it. Anybody who hits that many home runs, McGuire and Sosa, well over 500, probably deserves a look. But Palmero didn't get in, and A-Rod's not going to get in, Bonds is not getting in, Clemens. Would you vote for these type players when it comes up? Will you vote for (sighs) A-Rod? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I got three years to make up my mind. I'd always sort of been on the side, yeah, because there's probably already steroid users in. We don't know who did and who didn't. I think Bonds and Clemens, they were so good even before we think they started using, you know, they would have been no-brainer Hall of Famers. McGuire and Sosa, you know, they're kind of marginal as it is. Aside from the home runs, you look at their career war and so on. They're not necessarily slam dunk Hall of Famers. Um, then you factor in what they probably use to get there. I mean, look, McGuire's off the ballot. Sosa, I think he is still on there. Um I don't, know. In. They're, they're I don't know. I didn't answer in. your question. <laughs> I, I, I would vote for a deserving. I don't like to guess when Bond started taking it. So to say he was great before it, that's what saddens me the most. That Bonds and Clemens, if they had just never done it, yep. they would have been locks as to the run, greatest of all ballot. time. But they, they had to cheat. Like, so much ego is such a major thing. And we're, ego, we're seeing ego now. As In fact, there's a tweet that just went out here. Uh, about a, a new proposal from the owners to the players' union, and I would argue it's still not enough, but maybe the players, maybe there's a negotiation that goes on this week. I want to see baseball this season. It's just ego plays such a role. The ego ego played a role in the McGuire-Sosa home run chase. Oh, and no. Hey, no, doubt, not to cut anybody off, but, you know, Bonds, you know, there's no doubt, according to what we think, he started using after that year because he saw – all the attention going to McGuire and Sosa. And he's like, I'm better than those guys. And he was, you know, and it it pissed him off. So absolutely his ego. And then he was too good. You know, he's posting like 600 on base percentages. And that's the thing. McGuire and Sosa did not break the game. Bonds broke. Bonds, yeah, I'm with you. Bonds. The numbers, look at his numbers from 01 to 05. I, I mean, the intentional walks alone, it's absurd. And I don't envy either of the two of you for having to make that decision. I wouldn't have a chance of getting on that ballot, so I don't have to worry about it. Because no, I, I'm voting. Yes, I'm voting right. yes. But 
This is like A-Rod. I actually think it's harder to make the decision for players who did get suspended, who have known known missteps. And Manny Ramirez, Palmero, they're in a little different boat. I don't care. Put put the facts on the plaque. Put the facts on the plaque. I'm big on the facts. Yep. It's a museum. How can you leave out the top home run hitter of all time and one of the top pitchers, right-handed pitchers of all? Anyway, we could do this for an hour. Um, <laughs> let's let's uh, we'll answer the trivia after this. I want to get your opinions, Dave, since you wrote about Spencer Torkelson, the fine Arizona State first baseman. ESPN will be covering the draft Wednesday and Thursday. I'll be writing about it, and we'll be discussing it on this show. But for fantasy purposes, there's not a lot of interest in the MLB draft. You know, the running back in the NFL first round, he's an immediate contri- contributor. An NBA draft. Everybody in the lottery generally plays a lot their first year. doesn't work that way in baseball. Torkelson might be MLB ready right now, but we're not going to see him, assuming they even play, until like 2023 probably or 2022. So what's your take here on the differences between like relevant, immediate relevancy for fantasy in the MLB draft? Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I guess there's a small chance if we get going soon – and if they have, say, these 50-man, you know, revolving rosters, potentially, you know, a Torkelson, an AC, Asa Lacey, the kid from Texas A&M, maybe they're on that 50-man roster. Probably not. So, you know, I'd say very slim. But, yeah, for the most part, anybody drafted this year, we're not going to see them till 2022. Although Torkelson, by all accounts, very advanced, you know, good plate discipline, good approach. Um, you know, maybe maybe he's up next year if the, if the Tigers take him number one. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the only player that I think could make an impact, and it wouldn't even be for fantasy purposes, but even make the major leagues anytime soon, would be like a relief pitcher who could get drafted and fit into a bullpen because bullpens are in such disarray. So like this kid from Dallas Baptist, the lefty Burl Caraway, I was watching on TV, um, that guy throws hard. Whoever drafts him, and it won't be, I don't think, in round one, but whoever drafts him, that guy could could end up with a save or two. I just don't see how Torkelson or Austin Martin, the Vanderbilt kid, can make much of an impact. In a dynasty setting, it'd be different. Do you have anybody that you can think about? Like, you have a, you play fantasy baseball that you would think, like, man, I would really like Torkelson or, like, last year's Andrew Vaughn. I don't really look – I would rather college over high school, hitters over pitchers. That's how I'm viewing it from a fantasy aspect. Yeah, I think for fantasy, um, as good as Torkelson might be, I think Austin Martin um, is clearly the better fantasy player. He's, he's going to have steal more speed. Probably a third baseman, second baseman. He could be a super utility guy, so he might give you positional flexibility. If you look at his stat line and physique, there, there's a lot of Alex Bregman. And I'm, I'm not saying he's going to hit 41 home runs, but um, – He's got a lot of tools, well-rounded player. Tristan, your thoughts here on what I just said, and we'll have time to talk about this on Thursday after the first round, but we're obviously keeping David Holscher now. So your thoughts on the draft. I mean, we can see Torkelson, but I view it the same way I did Andrew Vaughn last year. This is not a guy who's going to debut in the major leagues for probably two years, so there's no immediate relevancy there. If you're in a dynasty league, and I know you're in a bigger one than either of us are, how excited are you for any of these players that are going to be chosen Wednesday night? Not exceedingly excited, just because it's going to take a while, as you said. Uh, look, I, I think Tor- guys like Torkos and Martin, by the way, Dave, I, I actually like him quite a bit, too. I like Nick Gonzalez, another guy who could fit in an infield position. We'll see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, I think they're, they're going to end up at the back end of my uh, dynasty rankings. 
Uh, very likely we're going to see uh, an unexpected candidate debut at some point late next year. That's the way it often feels to me about the drafts. If there isn't a clear-cut guy, I mean, the Steven Strasburg debut game is sort of on my backdrop in here. There isn't a player like that in this draft. If there was, then we'd be hailing him as the next great fantasy star. I think it's going to be somebody who we haven't even mentioned who gets called up just based on the need late next year. So Torkelson's one who I'm going to stash if I'm in a league that has just like the first year draftees. And I will have a column about that coming out next week where we rank the players here based on where they winded up and how valuable they are for Dynasty. Here's one factor I want to throw at you guys is – and this affects fantasy, I think, is what is going to be the economic fallout from a shortened season or no season? Well, potentially teams aren't going to want to pay, you know, veterans, even, you know, a few million dollars. So maybe next year there's a few more doors for younger players, although we know teams hate to rush younger players to the majors, but we might see even more youth, you know, next year because of the economics. I was going to ask you that, actually, was whether you, you saw it as prospects being more likely to move to the majors more quickly, especially in light of the recent cuts of minor leaguers. I mean, the minor league ranks have been thinned out quite a bit over the past two to three weeks. There could be more opportunity. I, I, I think it's a good thought. Yeah. Not a, not a positive thought, but I think it's you're on the right track. <laughs> thought. Well, let, let, so I'll ask you this, Dave. Do you think let's, – let's assume for our purposes of 50-game season – do you think it's more likely that prospects like Spencer Howard, uh, Mackenzie Gore, um, the Cardinal kid Carlson, is it more or less likely in a shortened season that we see these players in the major leagues in 2020? Because that's what fantasy players want to know. Should I draft Dylan Carlson over Ryan Braun? And normally I would say Braun's going to play more and do more, but in a shortened season, maybe Carlson gets the call early. Yeah, no, that's really the ultimate fantasy question. I still am leaning towards more likely, I think in part because the Cardinals, they want to get Dylan Carlson game action. You don't want him to sit for a full year doing nothing but playing, you know, double-A kids on backfield. So I think guys like that are up. Spencer Howard, even if he's not in the Phillies rotation with these expanded rosters, he's one of their best arms. He's going to pitch somewhere. I know that – he might not have a huge fantasy impact, but, you know, somebody in the rotation goes down, he'll get a chance. So I think your top prospects who were certainly in AAA, maybe even AA last year, I think you're going to see a lot of those guys in a 50-game season. Um, I, of course, yeah, at this, the other part that's curious to me is do certain major leaguers opt out of this season? That's one of the parts of the negotiations here is that are we going to get some players who opt not to play because then there will also be additional opportunity for younger players. Yeah, and, and that's going to – like the new proposal here, and I think it was tweeted by our colleague Carl Ravage, is very interesting. A lot of what the owners just offered the players is exactly the same as what they did two weeks ago but in a different kind of like package. So if the players don't want prorated salaries, I, I don't know how they're going to solve this, but – in terms of who wants to play this year, I do think there are going to be some players. And I just, for fantasy purposes, hope we know who they are before this starts. Nobody wants to, and I don't want to name a player, but nobody wants to draft a player in round five and then find out two days later, I just don't feel like playing. He's not hurt. He's not sick. He just doesn't want to play. He has that right because with everything going on in this country, there's still a virus, a very dangerous pandemic that's 
been overshadowed of, of late. And I, I don't, I mean, Sean Doolittle is kind of like the poster boy for this because his wife has asthma, I believe. But man, I, I don't know who wants to play. And that's also part of the issue. It, no, it's complicated. And, um, you know, for fantasy purposes, you know, a lot of leagues have already drafted. Do they do you do redrafts? You know, I don't know what advice you guys have been given on that front, but um, it's certainly a little easier if your league hasn't drafted yet. Um, but yeah, do I, you want to play? Do you want to play a fifty-game season in fantasy baseball? I yeah, I would. I still I love baseball. I love fantasy. It's still better than nothing. You know, is it ideal? No. You know, well, I know, and I've heard you talk about Eric. You're not playing. In any any leagues for money, I'm kind of with you on that front. But I'll play in fun leagues that are not, you know, for for cash. And and we should note. I mean, we're not going to do a full hash browns today. We'll do it on Thursday, Kyle. But somebody tweeted me and said, Eric, you're being hypocritical by saying you don't want to play for money. Isn't that like the players taking a lesser salary? And, <laughs> no, no, I don't make a million dollars. Yeah. One. And what I, my my reasoning, okay, which I should explain. Maybe I didn't explain it well on the last show. Is say you're you're putting in 200 marbles in a season, okay? I don't know what I'm allowed to say with gambling and all that. 200 <laughs> marble jelly beans for a season. Well, for a full 162 game season, I feel confident that we're going to have numbers that make sense. In a 50 game season, I don't. I feel like somebody could go on a, a Chris Medlin type run and give up no runs for two months. Or Pete Alonso's 30 home runs at 50 games, you know, is going to be more than the whole Orioles team. So, like, it's, it's going to be, like, weird small sample size theater numbers that I think are going to decide fantasy leagues I want to play. But I don't want to lose anything important along the way, if that makes sense. Makes sense to me. I'm going to make my strong recommendation once again on this. And that is that if you're in a keeper or a dynasty league... If it's this proposal or less, if it's beneath 100 games, for example, or if we do get players opting out, that it's a redraft, one-year redraft, you pause everything in the Keeper of Dynasty and you resume that in 2021, and that this year it's a points league. It is a points league, and it is also a points league. No head-to-head, no anything, no roto, because there's too much fluctuation there. Get your feet wet in the points realm. And the other is, come to an agreement on that entry. If there is an entry fee, have a, a unanimous decision across your league and have respect for other people who might have it difficult right now. People and might not be can't. working in your league. Exactly. Like, the unemployment respect. rate. And I would say this, if it was a third of our normal fee, that'd be, that'd be fine. I think a points league over a Roto league for sure. A Roto league, I won't play for money. A points in league my, would be in my keeper league, we we didn't even get to the point of getting all the entries in. And I'll tell you, if somebody in my league says they can't do it for that, it's a free year. We won't yeah. be charging an entry. What what's your guys's advice on how you evaluate prospects in a dynasty or keeper league? You know that a guy who doesn't pitch this year, how do you evaluate him? You know, and depending on your league, you may only keep a couple a couple prospects or minor leaguers. It's like it's going to be impossible to evaluate those guys. Well, hitters over pitchers, right, Tristan? I mean, we know who can hit. And if they hit last year, we're going to assume that they're going to hit again. Dylan Carlson, if he doesn't play a major league game or a minor league game this season, I'm not worried about him for 2021. Mackenzie Gore, I would be. But I assume that the Padres are, are at least setting up Gore to be successful for next year. So I don't want to overrate the lack of minor league games because a lot of these guys get handled so carefully anyway, pitching once a week and then shut down for a couple of weeks that 
I don't want to assume that's going to change anything there. So, and then we're just guessing from player to player who to who to downgrade and who to upgrade. And I think that's just guessing at this point. Do you think trade value is affected? Say a Wander Franco who probably would have started this year in Double A, makes it up to Triple A. So now he's probably not going to have any minor league season. Yeah, you know we don't real. You know we assume he's still great, but he hasn't played above A ball yet. Does his trade value with no stats decrease? I don't think it does. I actually no. think he's one who who has the least impact here. I think true talent is going to play, and I'm going to lean more towards the true talent. So you're not yeah. worried about a, a missed season of development time? Not for him. I am yeah. in certain cases, and, and Eric, in this case, I am going to just nitpick individual players. The one concern I have is, good point, Dave, is the pitching side. I'm a big believer in ramping up and ramping down of workloads. That's individual over the course of the season, game by game, but it's also year over year. And we hear so often that discussion of teams don't want to give young pitchers anything more than plus 40 in terms of innings pitched from one year to the next. I don't agree with that entirely. I don't think it has to do with innings pitched, but teams do this. Chris Paddock was a great example of it last year. The Padres wanted to be conservative with his innings count. Does this missed year have an impact in teams planning? Because it is a missed season. Is it like a Tommy John surgery gets baked into that pitching prospects year over year pattern? I don't know the answer to that, but I do think there's going to be something there to those pitchers. And by the way, there's going to be a new CBA, not anytime soon, but hopefully by the end of next season and no games are missed. They might change some of these rules, like the Chris Bryant rule where he had to be demoted for two, three weeks. That was ridiculous. That's the rule. That probably gets changed in the next CBA, I would assume. That would affect fantasy as well. If we know that Dylan Carlson has just as good a chance to be on the Cardinals it, you know, next season, you know, because they know that it doesn't matter that extra year, um, that would certainly help us. We're getting a little long here on the show. Let's, let's uh, answer the trivia question. Tristan, what was your trivia question? And Dave and I, I'll give some guesses. So the trivia question flashing back to 1998 was, I would like you to name the five players who stole more bases than Malik Smith's league-leading 46 in 2019. So the five players who stole 47 or more bases in 1998. Now, you, you did mention one of the names who was obvious. Ricky Henderson was like 40, but he did it for Oakland. Can he, he did it often? Well, Ricky Anderson, 66, he led the majors uh, and it's best total in any of his final 10 seasons. So well done. Kenny Lofton is correct. He had 54. He was third in the majors. Gets a little tougher now. He should be in the Hall of Fame. To shake, that, all of, that, that, that 5% rule is ridiculous. Um, I know I, Tony Womack had to do it. Tony Womack is correct as a second Ooh, baseman. He's all 58, nice. uh, 58 bases. He was second in the majors. Well done. So my two guys with great hints you just took away from me. <laughs> Uh, who was fast in 98? Man. Uh, One is very uh, a known name who you should get, and the other is trick. Mar- Marquise Grissom wasn't still running by 98, was he? No, he's not not one of the one of the five. I bet Biggio did it. Craig Biggio is correct. He had 50, oh, he fifth. I should have known that. Yeah, that was one of those great 98 seasons. The final player stole 51 bases, and I'm struggling to come up with a hint for this one. If you're, I do if, you believe, give us a, if you're struggling to give a hint, how are we going to get it right? <laughs> yeah, let me let me let me try and come up with a, a hint for you for this one. <laughs> but I do b- b- believe I recall him as being one of the appropriate leadoff men. Lance Johnson, not Lance Johnson, but 
Is it, Somewhat is it Eric, Young's, Eric Young's father? No, it is not. Ooh. This guy was a, a 360 career on-base percentage player. He played almost entirely for teams in the north. <laughs> almost entirely, like way north. And this is his only 50 steal season. Oh, Chuck Knobloch. No. No, but no, you're on the right track. He played with Toronto, right? Correct. Well, you, you said the North, so it's got to be Shannon Stewart. It is Shannon Stewart. He had a 50 so steal season? Wow. Yeah, he did. He was 51. their leadoff hitter, right? He, he led was. off for that team. He got on base. He was a, an under undervalued player. Yeah. Very, very North. good five year run. Yeah, he played for the Twins and the Blue Jays. I mean, I was thinking of guys like Tom Goodwin, Eric Young, Sr. Um, I mean, who was stealing bases back then? That's a good. That's a good trivia question. Shannon Stewart is a is a guy you don't think about too much. He had a little bit of pop too. Um, all right, what else do we still need to do here? Anyway, check out Dave's story. It's up. It's posted, and all these docs have been great. But he says what you need to know about Sosa McGuire's home run chase before watching Long Gone Summer. And I'll watch it, and I know it's going to be good. But man, I got mixed feelings about that season. And I, I don't know if I've come to terms still with like. The, the joy we felt that year, Dave, you and I both worked for ESPN at the time. I'm not sure we knew each other, but we, we, we watched that summer. You were the MLB editor, and were you even in Connecticut at the time? Were you in Seattle still? 98. I was still in Seattle. I remember the, when McGuire hit number 62, we had our top story blurb already, all written. Yeah. We had it up on the site. It was up on the site before he had rounded third base. Who served? And I was one of the news editors, <laughs> so I might have been one of the people that like helped post it or dealt with it. It's man, we've been there a long time. <laughs> at yeah. ESPN. Um, Dave, you were watching it. Do you remember who served up the homer? Do I, I remember? Well, I yeah. just watched the movie, so I know. Ask Eric. Oh, okay. It was the it was the rain delay guy, and I used to talk about him in fantasy. Yes. Right? Yes. Lowest. That guy took forever. Steve Traxel. Right. Yep. So one of the best games. I know we're running long. One of the best games I ever saw was a Pedro Martinez when he was with the Red Sox versus Steve Traxel game. Traxel was, was with the Rays. Pedro. Struck out 17, gave up like two hits, and he lost one to zero. Steve Traxel pitched a shutout. Well, Dave, you remember the one game playoff in the old Federal League when I, <laughs> I had Steve Traxel. Steve Traxel was my ace, and the other guy had, had a prime Randy Johnson, and I beat him one nothing on a Frank Thomas bases loaded hit by pitch. And he dropped out of the league. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I think it's the point where Kyle says you guys have gone on too long. No, you guys are uh, he's this smiling, is, and I can't yeah. hear what he's saying anyway. You guys in your atmosphere right here, there's nothing like Let's, this. Um, I- <laughs> oh, we can do a five-hour podcast on our okay. – you know, We're, we're having Dave we back next we have, day. Yeah, we got to have yeah, back, I, Dave. We're not, we're not stopping this because, like, <laughs> Tristan and I – this is three months of this junk. We've run out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> Unless there's a season, we just need to have you on and talk about Sim, which we'll do. And the fa- and, and the fact that you cut your hair, your own hair, and, and uh, I have a bullet. Um, I need to read this, by the way. The Jalen and Jacoby After Show podcast continues this Sunday following ESPN's new 30 for 30 film, 
Long Gone Summer. Director A.J. Schnack takes viewers back to the landmark 98 baseball season when the Cardinals' Mark McGuire and the Cubs' Sammy Sosa embarked on a chase of one of the game's most hallowed records. It was one of the most significant and memorable seasons in baseball history, told by the stars who lived it and so many others who will never forget it, like us. A reminder that all 30 for 30 films are available on ESPN Plus after airing. And we should also note that this Thursday, our pal June Lee, who might not have even have been born in 1998, he will be back on our show, as he is every Thursday, to smile and show. And we will talk about the movie A League of Their Own, I believe, is what we'll be discussing on Thursday. Today, we've been talking movies every Thursday with you, and I know you listen to our shows. Yeah. And, um, you know, probably while, you know, walking your dogs or something. Um, cause we have another friend, Steve Gardner, who, who only walks his dogs listening to the podcast. That, that's the only way he can get them to do their business by listening to my voice. That, that's the only way. That's ridiculous. I, I do listen to it while walking the dogs. And uh, I agreed with uh, last week's assessment that Field of Dreams is uh, vastly overrated. Yeah. Field of Dreams and the natural, but I do like a league of their own quite a bit. And, uh, I don't want to give it away, but uh, I think Tristan, you might as well. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, well, I guess we're done, right? We've talked for almost an hour. How much more can we possibly do? Let's save it for next week or whatever. We don't even know Dave's schedule. Look, we hope that baseball is played in 2020. We're going to – I'm going to avoid tweeting about it at least. I just hope they can get together and figure it out, and that's all I want is to see real baseball for our fantasy leagues, for our sim leagues, just for our eyes. It would be a lot of fun. And check out all the MLB amateur draft coverage – uh, I will be watching on Wednesday night, and then we will discuss a little bit of it on Thursday as well. Torkelson, Austin Martin, and all that. Dave Schoenfeld, you're a good friend. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Weed Hall is fine work. Thanks to Kyle Soppy. Thanks to Tristan H. Cockroft. The H still stands for happy and hopeful of a season. I'm Eric yes. Have an awesome week, everybody.